Good morning. You can open your Bibles to Luke 22. Should be kind of falling open there naturally, I hope. Or uh, turning on your Bibles and it falls there if you're electronically minded. As you're churning there, I'd like to talk to you about the subject of eavesdropping. What is eavesdropping? It's listening in on someone else's conversation, huh? Yeah, I see some smiles coming in the room. We like to eavesdrop if we can, don't we? You know? Hey, did you hear that? But if we do it the wrong way, it's not right. It shouldn't be eavesdropping unless you're invited. Then it really isn't eavesdropping. But in a sense, we're going to see that today. I have an illustration I want to open up, just a short video of someone who invites you in to an incredible conversation they had. It's a wife speaking about an incredible conversation she had with her husband. And she's allowing us to, as it were, eavesdrop. Guys? An hour after the first plane struck the North Tower, some people were still struggling to make their first contact with loved ones. The phone networks were overloaded. By the time 41-year-old Tom McGuinness managed to get through to his wife, he already knew there was no possibility of escape. Right away I say, where are you? Where are you? And I'm almost annoyed because he's not answering me. And then he says, we're in a conference room that we can't get out of. We're trapped in a conference room. And I said, well, who's with you? And he rattles off the names of a couple of guys I know, three guys that were with him, plus these other people. And you could hear it in the background. You could hear people talking. You didn't hear panic. You heard, I remember one guy yelling, let's just knock down this wall. I remember telling him, I said, you're going to get out of there. I kept telling him that. And that's when he said to me, he goes, Eliana, you don't understand. He says, there are people jumping from the floors above us. And that's what I just thought. Like, what are these guys going through that they are seeing what's going on right above them? And it was just unbelievable. And I just kept saying, you're coming home tonight. You're coming home tonight. And he said, I love you. And he said, take care of Caitlin. He said, I have to get down on the floor. I love you. And that's when the, I lost the connection at that point. It can have a profound effect when you're invited to hear that type of conversation, can it? It can speak to your heart. Feelings of empathy, sympathy. I don't know about you, but for me, it's, sometimes it's a feeling of, I can't relate. Wow. Wow. I thought of these as I've heard these, seen these videos before, and I thought of this as an opening illustration of what we're going to look at this morning. Because what we're going to look at this morning in the scriptures, 
As powerful as that was, what we're going to look at the scriptures this morning is even more powerful. An intimate conversation between two, between two people that's even more um, powerful, should have more of a profound impact, should lead us to worship and then lead us to action, to action. We're in Luke uh, 22. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. Now, the intimate conversation we're going to talk about is not really between Simon, Peter, and Jesus. Well, it's going to be later on in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're doing a little house cleaning from, from last week. It's these two passages we're looking at first. And again, the context here is they're still in the upper room. Jesus has had the the Last Supper instituted the Lord, his own supper uh, for, with the disciples, the Passover being ended. Judas has left the, the, the building. But we do see another couple of intimate conversations you would normally know about. Jesus pulls back the curtain and says, by the way, Peter, Satan has asked for you. He wants to sift you like wheat. What does that mean? He wants to run his fingers through your soul and through your life, Peter. He's looking for those impurities. Because you know, if there's anything Satan can find in us, it's sin. He loves to find sin in everyone, especially the believers. And he wants to run his fingers through your life. He sees Peter as a leader. And what do you do with the leadership? You target him. Take him out. Ruin them, destroy them, bring them down. What does he see in Peter? Well, I think we'll be able to see that by, his, by Peter's response, what he sees in Peter. But look at what Jesus says. Verse 32. But I have prayed for you. Now, what better time... To have no one less than Jesus praying for you. When Satan is running his fingers through your life, trying to destroy you. Jesus says that when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Does Peter seem to take that real well? He doesn't, does he? What do you mean return, Lord? I'm not going anywhere. I don't know about the rest of these schmoes behind me, but I'm in front, Lord. I got a sword. I'm going to go down swinging. I don't care if it's prison or death. I'm not going anywhere, Lord. Did we find Peter's sin yet? It's pride. It's pride. Let me give you a hint. When the Lord says something's going to happen, go with it. 
Okay? Just go with it. Whatever it is, just go with it. Okay? He says, look, when you have returned, think, okay, I'm going to blow it. But hey, I'm going to return. All right, Lord. I'll strengthen the brethren. Peter doesn't do that. He protests. And his prideful protest only establishes all the more what? That he's going to fall. Pride comes before fall. And we'll cover this more next week when we look at Peter denying the Lord Jesus. Going on to verses 35 through 38. Jesus says to them, when I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? So they said nothing. Then he said to them, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it. And likewise a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you, that which is written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For the things concerning me have an end. So they said, look, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. What's Jesus saying here? Well, admittedly, it's, it's a difficult passage. It's a difficult passage. Um, what is Jesus saying? Well, what he's not saying, he's not promoting sword fights. He's not promoting hurting people with swords. What he is, promoting, what he is saying is this. Look. It's not going to be the same. When I was here and I sent you out, you had everything taken care of. Well, I'm leaving. I'm not going to be walking these streets with you any longer. You need to prepare yourself. You need to be ready. It's going to be different. It won't be the same. Do you think the disciples understood that? Uh, all they did was grab a couple of swords and say, Okay, we're ready, Lord. You know, probably there with Peter. I'm, we're ready to fight. Let's go, Lord. What's the Lord say later about those swords? Put them away. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, my servants would fight. Okay. Looking at verses 39 through 46. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives. As he was accustomed. And his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. That his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. All, all of scripture is wonderful. It's all given by God. It's all beautiful. But I have to confess, there's certain passages. I, I feel like my, my Indian brethren, they, when they come inside their meetings, they take, their, they take their shoes off at the door. 
as a sign of respect. I feel like Moses. I feel like taking my shoes off right here. This is holy ground. This is an intimate conversation between the father and the son. And I'm going to be very careful, as careful as I can. Because we're talking about things we cannot relate to. We can only uh, worship from afar off. But let's do that. Let's do exactly that this morning. What do we have here? We have Jesus going to the Mount of Olives. On the western slope, there is a garden. And that garden, probably with all your headings there in your Bible, although not in the text itself, is the Garden of Gethsemane. Who does he have with him? He has 11 disciples. And what I'm going to share from here on out especially is really only for the believers. Judas is gone. And what we're going to talk about is mostly for believers. So if you're here this morning, if you never really received the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, really came to him and can really appreciate who he is, it's not going to mean as much to you. It's here in the scriptures, it's here for you. But this message is directed mostly at the believers. Next week's message will be a lot more um, directed towards both unbelievers and believers. Who do we have here? We have Jesus, the Son of God. Who is he? He's the eternal Son of God. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. He's the one the Father sent into the world. Hebrews 10, beginning at verse 5. Therefore, when He, Jesus, came into the world, He said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. You see who Jesus is? He's the one from eternity past, the eternal God the Son, become a man, the Son of God, the Son of Man. There was all the sacrifices that just looked forward. They could never take away sin, Hebrews tells us. Jesus said, you didn't have any real pleasure in those. You were looking for a full atonement. A full taking away of sin. Not just a covering, but a full a propitiation. A full cleansing of sin. The Lord Jesus came. I mean, just, let's just spend time worshiping the Lord for who he is, like we were doing this morning, the breaking of bread. Isaiah 50, verse 4. This is who the Lord was when he was here. He loved to do the will of the Father every day. The Lord has given me the tongue of the learned. Literally, it means disciple. It's the same word. That I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. Now he's talking to the Father. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned, the disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. That's who the Lord Jesus was. Every morning he woke up. He went out and he sought the Father's face. He spent time with him. 
Lord, Father, what do you want me to do today? Here I am. Anything you want, everything, all the time, all yours. That's who the Lord Jesus is. He would wake up, he would listen to the Father, and then what? He would do it. John 8, 29. Jesus said, he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone. Why? For I always do the things that please him. Can you imagine what that's like? I'm standing here, I'm preaching the message, right? You guys are listening, I'm reading, I'm going, wow. This blows me away. I always do the things that please him. 24-7. Always in perfect relationship to the Father. I, I, I got to tell you, I just, I'm glad for a, a day, an hour, a moment where I'm in the center of God's will. I'm filled with the Spirit. I know exactly what God wants me to do, and I'm doing it. And I'm not blowing it. And if those of you who are believers and you've had that experience, it means a lot to you, doesn't it? You really appreciate that. Walking with the Lord. Being right in the center of his will. And, and loving him back. Imagine if you had that nonstop. You had only known that. How much would that mean to you? How much would you treasure that? 24-7. Wow. Never a moment. Not as close to God as possible. Gotta kick the shoes off. I don't know anything about this. This holy ground. This is Jesus and the Father. It doesn't stop there. The Father appreciated the Son. In Matthew uh, 3, verse 16, it, Jesus is just starting his public ministry. When he was baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You can just see the Father, the Lord Jesus is humbly coming forward. John's got a, a, a message of repentance. All these sinners are coming forward to be baptized. Jesus is not a sinner, but he's coming forward to identify with that message. He's coming forward to say, John is speaking about me and I'm here for you. That's why John says, I'm not going to baptize you, Jesus. I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus, no, it's fitting all, all righteousness. You see? So that gives the Father the opportunity. When Jesus comes out of the water, the Father makes it clear. No, no, this is my son. He's not like the rest of you sinners. He's not like me. He's not like you. He's different. The Father so appreciates the son. He loves the son. And he can't help but burst out with this truth. In Luke 9, 35, the Mount of Transfiguration, you know, I love Peter, it says, not knowing what to say, Peter opened his mouth and said, hey, let's make a booth for all, all three of you, Moses, Elijah, and you, Lord. Father's not going to have anything, anything to do with that. You know, the proverb says, don't let your own mouth praise you, let someone else praise you. The Lord Jesus doesn't have to defend himself. The Father says, no, and he clears everything out. This is my son. Moses and Elijah are gone. This is my son, in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. 
think of that relationship. I don't know about you, but I just, <laughs> I just kind of wander and think and wonder and, and again, worship from a distance. Because I, 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 that's all I can do. Jesus enjoyed an unhindered prayer life. Every time he prayed, he knew God answered. Looking at John 11, verse 41 and 42, at the tomb of Lazarus, what does Jesus say? At verse 41, then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. I know that you always hear me. Incredible. And even as Jesus was looking towards the cross in John chapter 12, his heart was being burdened. He was counting the cost before him. He says in verse uh, 27, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me for this, from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. And again, you just hear the Father. It's in the middle of Jerusalem. Father doesn't care. Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and I'll glorify it again. The Lord doesn't care who's standing around. When you love someone, you don't care who's standing around. My wife knows about this because I kiss her in public. You know, she gets a little embarrassed, but she puts up with it. You don't care. It's a big city. They all, oh man, there's thunder, where's this, that? No, that's the Father showing love to the Son. It's the Son showing love to the Father. This is the context of the garden. This is who is crying out. So, what's going on here? Why is there seeming hesitancy on the part of the Lord Jesus? Does he not want to do the Father's will? Well, obviously, that's not the case. Jesus just, he says, not my will, but yours be done. But what does that tell you? Jesus has a will. He chooses to do things. And he always chose to obey the Father. Always. The devil himself couldn't stumble Jesus. Jesus says, here comes the rule of this world, the devil, and he has nothing in me. There's nothing there. You try to sift through Jesus, nothing but perfect purity, holiness, love for God. Nothing there. But now Jesus has the ability to, to choose to obey, to take this cup. Now what is this cup? It's the cup of God's wrath. Isaiah 75 verse 8 says this. For in the hand of the Lord there's a cup and the wine is red. It is fully mixed, and he pours it out. Surely its dregs shall all the wicked of the earth drain and drink down. You see, it's God's wrath. God hates sin. He cannot tolerate its presence. Psalm 5, verse 4 through 6. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. 
The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. He hates sin and he must punish it. Nahum 1, beginning of verse 3. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. Where does that leave us? Well, we know from Romans 3. You just read Romans 3 and we're all under sin. What those verses we just read and that wrath and God's hatred for sin, we all fit that bill. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That wrath is what we deserve. So what is Jesus asking here? If there's any other way that sinners who deserve judgment and wrath from a holy and righteous God, if in any, way, any other way they can be saved, please let that way be taken. You see? Because the Lord Jesus loves his fellowship with his Father. He loves that unaffected, unhindered, un, untouched relationship with his Father, fellowship with his Father. I love you so much, and I love enjoying my full and unaffected fellowship with you. I don't want to give that up for anything or anyone. But if you want me to give it up, because there's no other way to save sinners, then I'll do it. I'll do it for you. Do you realize what Jesus is saying here? Yeah, there'd be something missing. Think about it. There'd be something missing if he, if he didn't say, if this wasn't here. It would seem like it wasn't a big deal that the Lord Jesus became our sin bearer, took the wrath of God for our sins. It is a big deal. It's huge. It's so much so that he is crying out. He's, he's literally knelt down and then he's fallen down on his face. And it says he cries out, Oh, my father, daddy, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Three times, all the more. It meant a lot to Lord Jesus. We needed to know. We needed to know that in his heart, there was no greater love than his father. Nothing he treasured more in his life than that fellowship, that unhindered fellowship. And then he would take that and obey his father and say, okay, I'm willing to have that affected. Father, if you want me to. You see, because his love for us is not greater. That would be an idol, wouldn't it? And we'll talk about that. It would be an idol. He was so affected, it says that he was sorrowful unto death. And I, I don't mean to be overly dramatic by getting on the ground, but I'll be honest with you, I'd rather do that than not. 
to, to try to think about what the Lord Jesus went through for you and me. What's the answer? If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He sends an angel. Angel is created by Jesus. That angel maybe was singing songs when Jesus was born. The angel's probably worshiping him right now. Not probably is, worshiping him right now. The father sent the angel to strengthen the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus was exhausted from sorrow. He had to be strengthened. It says he sweat as it were great drops of blood. This is an actual known medical condition called hematidrosis. In 1996, there were 76 cases logged. And it happens. It's acute, this is a quote, acute fear and intense mental contemplation were found to be the most frequent inciting causes. This is by the medical community. Jesus did for you and me. Out of obedience to his father, affected him that much. That he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. Having to be strengthened by an angel. What was the answer? There is no other way. The heavens are silent. Paul says in Galatians 2, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. I can tell you right now, don't go to the law. Because if there was a way you could do something to be saved, this would not have happened. The father would not sacrifice his own son. In the midst of all this, where do we find the disciples? Sleeping, huh? Here it says, from sorrow. The Lord warned them multiple times. Sit, watch, pray, lest you enter in temptation. That's a temptation, I think, to be sleeping while Jesus is praying and going through extreme agony. Anyone remember the second song we sang right before, right before the message? What a wonderful Savior, huh? Any amens to that? Amen. What a wonderful Savior. That he would go through all of that in the garden and the cross still ahead of him out of obedience to his Father. Praise the Lord. Love so amazing, so divine. It does. It demands our heart, our hearts, our lives, our all. Amen? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about what that would mean. What should that mean in our lives today? You see, because we see the Lord Jesus, we see him leaving the garden, and then we see him turning to us, saying, if anyone will come after me and not hate his mother, his father, his brother, his sister, his wife, his children, yes, even his own life also, cannot be my disciple. And he who does not take up his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. 
What does that mean? What does that mean? To have all those other relationships be as hate and to take up the cross. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I am going to a place of execution. And if you want to follow me, that's where I'm going. That's where you need to go. What, what does it mean? Well, it's not a pity party. There was no one who had a more full, more joyful life than the Lord Jesus. It's not putting up the little bothersome things in life and that neighbor that you can't stand and your little pet peeves. That's not your cross to bear, as some people like to say it. That's not your cross to bear. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying about your relationships. No relationship that you have, either now or the hope for a relationship, should come anywhere close to your love for me. Matter of fact, when you compare the two, it ought to be like hate. You see his love for the Father? You see his love for you? What is he saying? I want you to love me back. I want your love to me like that. Everything else is hate in comparison, even compared to the closest relationships that you have in life. Jesus is saying, I have laid everything out for you. If you're going to follow me, I expect the same of you. That he's first before all others. Ask yourself this morning, What relationship do you have in your heart that you put before, put in front of, more important to you than the Lord Jesus? What relationship is it that when that relationship goes bad, your whole day is ruined? You're useless for God. What relationship do you hold on to to the point of allowing sin in your life? Things you know God doesn't want. You know he doesn't want you to do it. But you're holding on to that relationship. Jesus was willing to let his fellowship with the Father be affected so that he could save us from our sins he deserves first place in our hearts. He does. It's, it's not an unreasonable demand. After relationships with others, Jesus challenged us to hate our own life also. I think this is the hardest challenge. I think it can be. Maybe you don't have strong relationships with others. Maybe you've already dealt with that issue in your life. But our problem is still our love for ourselves, isn't it? We love ourselves. We have our, I appreciate it. A brother shared the other day, a week or two ago, he says, you know, we have these expectations of our life, what we expect them to be. We have our dreams, our thoughts, you know. And the outset, it doesn't seem too bad, right? We need to have goals, right? The problem is that, that these dreams and expectations of ours are exactly that. They're ours. They're ours. They don't often include what God wants in my life. They're all about me. Do you ever notice that? You know, it's going to be about where I go to school, 
so that I can say that name of that school to other people and be proud, so I can get that job, so I can get that amount of money, so I can have that big of a house, the spouse I want to have, when I want to have them, where I'm going to live, where I'm going to work. And it goes on and on. My new car, my well-behaved kids, all about who? I get my life the way I want it, right? Well, you can. You can have your life the way you want it. You can. But you won't be following Jesus. He's causing you to choose. He's asking you to choose this morning. Because if you, if you summed up the life of Jesus, you'd have to say he did not spend it on himself. Matter of fact, if you summed up the life of Jesus in one word, you know what that word would be? What was that, Matt? Others. Others. That's exactly right. The Father, first and foremost, and then all of us, right there. Matthew 20, 25 through 28. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over, lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them, yet shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, Jesus' life was about others. If he is the Lord, and he is, and his life was about others, what should our lives be like? It should be about others, serving others, following him. Is that part of your life's goals? Is it part? Really, it should be your entire life goal. That's who Jesus was. That's what he's calling us to. How can we hate our lives? Lose them for Jesus' sake. Well, it's in the area of rights. You know, I think we, we all have this... You know, the, it's the, um, you got the Declaration of Independence and you got the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, right? In the Constitution, you have the old Bill of Rights. We've got our rights, right? I, ex I expect that the right to be heard, the right to be respected. Be treated fairly and justly. See, even the Constitution says so. And you're right, it does. And as an American, you have those rights that are in the Constitution. But according to a follower of Christ, not so much. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says this, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. What does this mean? If you look at what Jesus said about being a slave of all and you being bought, that's you. You were bought at a price. You don't own yourself, believer. He bought you. He bought you for himself. A slave doesn't have rights. A slave doesn't have rights. We were slaves of sin, 
Now Jesus has set us free. And we learn from the book of Romans, now we can choose to become a slave of God. You know what we said about the Lord Jesus? Waking up every morning. Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm all yours. Not me. Not my thoughts about me being right and me showing everyone else that I'm right. No, nothing about me, Lord. What do you want me to do? Does that mean I'm going to look like I'm wrong today? Okay. Does that mean I'm going to fail? Have a fail at a really bad Little League baseball game? Yeah, could. It could. If I'm all his. If I'm all his. The scriptures tell us we now have the choice to submit ourselves to God, to become his slave. In doing so, you, you inevitably will be challenged to forego any natural rights. That's what's going to happen. The Lord had a right. He always obeyed the Father. He had a right to expect to always be in complete fellowship with the Father. That was his right for complete obedience. And what does he do? He's willing to set that aside and say, I'll be their sin bearer. I'll take their punishment. It's not about rights, brothers and sisters. It's about following the Lord Jesus and brokenness and humility. Lord, what do you want me to do? He didn't hold on to this. He chose to serve us. Think about it. What rights are you holding on to? You know, you can always uh, see your rights coming. First of all, they usually come in the form of complaints. I like to keep a verse up in front of me at the office. Do all things without complaining and grumbling. Ugh. Right? Yeah. Because you complain because you think you have an expectation for something. Oh, really? What was your expectation? Right? You know what the nice thing about that? I, I was talking to a brother, and he was really frustrated, and I could feel for him. It's hard. His job is hard. And he, he has valid valid issues and concerns and complaints and rights and all the rest of it. I just finally looked at him and I said, Brother, you need to attend the funeral of your own expectations. You know? Just attend the funeral of your own expectations. If you just show up saying, Lord, whatever you want, I'm good with it. You can't be disappointed. You can't be disappointed. And then right after that, the Lord challenged me with the same situations, by the way. And, it was, and I struggled. Just to be honest, I struggle. And I, the Lord reminded me, you attend the funeral of your expectations, Charlie. Look at your frustrations and see how they're, you're not getting what you want, that you think you deserve out of your life. What's really going on here, you're, you are stopped in your loving obedience to Jesus. So when you get frustrated, that's, this should be this way. What you're not saying, that realizing is the Lord's saying, yeah, but I'm allowing it not to be that way. And by you having that attitude, I can't use you. Your focus is completely off of me, and I can't use you to do what I want you to do. You want to talk about rights? We're going to look at a, just a mockery of a trial, an incredible beating and torturing of a completely innocent man who did what about it? Not one word. That's following Jesus. We need to follow him. We get frustrated because it's not turning out the way. I should go like this, Lord. 
You see, so we've got a better plan than he does. Is that the idea? Here, he, here we are. And he's going, yeah, but I'm doing this. Think about it. If we got our way, the cross never would have happened. You shouldn't, you shouldn't punish an innocent man. God used it to save us. Obviously, he doesn't relieve those who are guilty from the sin. But God used it to save us. What he is doing is so much better than what we could possibly imagine. We need to give up our rights, our expectations, let him go, and simply follow what he has for us. Another thing, just real quick. How would you like it if... See, when we don't have our expectations, I don't know about you, about you but I'm like this. Okay, I'm going to not do that outside or in front of you guys or in front of my kids. But that's what I'm doing in my heart, isn't it? And what I mean, this isn't right. And it also means, Lord, I'm not going to do anything else you want me to do until this gets fixed. You know, you haven't met my expectations, and I want this. <laughs> you know, I'm so glad the Lord Jesus doesn't treat us the same way. Let's flip that one around. You've disappointed me, and I'm not going to show you any love until you fix everything. Well, forget it. I don't, I don't like it when he has to ask my kids, do you like it to be treated that way? no. You know, the way we treat the Lord, we wouldn't like it for him to treat us that way. It's not about just what not to do. It's not just about negatives. It's pick up the cross. Back in Luke 14, 27, on a daily basis, not worrying about being right, not worrying about your rights and what you deserve, but just worrying about one thing. Did I please you today, Lord? Were you happy with me? Every morning, seeking his face through his word, finding out what he wants you to do and doing it. It's that simple. You know, all, all, the, all the, the Father ever wanted, anything God ever wants from the garden, was for people to simply trust him and follow him. To simply do what he, he says. I'm going to tell you, it's a wild ride. It might seem simplistic, but if you're willing to put the Lord first... Take your selfish ambitions and expectations and rights, set it all aside. Lord, I'm willing to do whatever you want, and I'm going to trust you. All my hopes, all my expectations, all my relationships, I'm going to set it aside. I'm going to trust you. It's not complicated, but you will have the most blessed life of, of, of imaginable that you could possibly have in your life. A life of simple obedience to the one who gave his all for you and me. The best life. You know, it's a life that... It's a life that when Jesus comes back, you won't be ashamed. You'll be ready, you'll be ready to go. And it's a life that when he puts it before him, before the judgment seat of Christ, you'll be glad. You'll be glad. In the garden, the cost was counted. At the cross, the price was paid. Now, Savior, I hear your voice calling at your feet. My life is laid. We're going to end with a chorus. Thank you, Jesus.